Welcome to Spritz and Scrums, a podcast by three Benetton fans with a love for Aperol and all things Rugby Italiano. In their final game before the World Cup, Italy show their growth and quality, comprehensively beating Japan 42-21 in the cutthroat and clinical game we've all been waiting for. Coach made it. He weighs the same as Jamie George, and he made it. Not only did I make it, but I made it well. Scored a few tries. Scored a few tries. Left a couple out there as well. Yeah. He doesn't want to talk about them, but he, uh, in our first game against uh, the team with uh, Sara Baratine, he scored two tries, but he didn't know the length of the pitch. And so he kept putting them beyond the dead ball line. And then wouldn't believe it when people were telling him that he'd done that. And uh, he actually got quite shitty about it. I don't get criticism. Uh, It was unhelpful. Mm. That's how fast he was going, right? He just overshot the dry line. <laughs> I am an enigma how you can be that heavy and move that fast. That's why. All oh, right, fun. sunshine. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> like a boulder rolling down a hill. Yeah, it just gains momentum and I can't stop. And then <laughs> I, can't put the, I can't put the ball over the dry line because it takes five minutes to stop. And if I, if I dove, there would be a crater like a cartoon. Yeah. And then later on, you did try to stop. And uh, got the ball down, but then the stopping injured you. And then the good old chap, some Carbo Rugby, had to come and be your medical assistant. Takes two to pick me up. (laughs) They know their weights very well. So grazie, Carbo Rugby, for looking after our coach so well. You know what? We said at the beginning that, in fact, we said the night before when we were freaking out about the whole thing, that success would be getting to 4 p.m and being alive and we did that yeah we did but we'll talk more about that later um but fan of rugby if you're listening it was a pleasure playing with you and thank you very much uh but more on that later first of all italy beat japan yeah as mentioned in the intro comprehensively beat japan um the score was a lot tighter up until the 75th minute but They did what we've wanted to see since the beginning of the Six Nations, which is finishing some actual tries in those final 10 minutes. And they absolutely did that in this game. Uh, Granted, they may have been from Japanese errors, but it's very easy to get complacent and and not finish them off. And you have to capitalize on errors. Well, one of them wasn't from a Japanese error. Granted, it was from a pretty crappy Japanese kick, but I wouldn't call it an error. But then Monty caught it running backwards, turned around, skinned about four people, hand off, Bish bash bosh under the sticks for his third try. And then obviously the last one, that was an error around the halfway line. And Paige Rello was able to sprint the pitch and again put it under the sticks. But those are the tries that Italy have had scored against them. Yeah. And it was so beautiful to see actually, you no, know, Italy stamping their authority on a game and at the end accelerate away and get the score that they deserved. Yeah. It was absolutely beautiful. At no point in this game were Italy ever behind on the scoreboard. And Japan were the closest side to them in world rankings. Italy at the moment were 13, Japan were 14, and this has pulled Italy away from Japan, which is excellent. Yeah, it was a brilliant game, brilliant atmosphere. I mean, let's let's talk about that. A sold-out game in a Manigo that we've never experienced in the summer, in the summer heat. 
and it was hot. It was hot. And there was one bit where Carl Dixon, the referee, told his uh, assistants that he thought he'd swallowed five flies. <laughs> there were a bunch of kind of midges flying around all day, even when we were playing the tournament earlier on in the day. It was just like midge central everywhere. I'm fine, but, but most of them bit Coach's ass when he was sitting there on the floor under his umbrella. Did which they, uh... is called a parasol, I believe, <laughs> when it's used to shade you. Yeah, I've been bitten quite a lot. On your bum? Yeah, and legs and ankles and everything that touched the ground is uh, is bitten. That's what happens when you spend so much time on the ground. <laughs> You're like one of those UV lights that attracts insects. <laughs> yeah, I attracted them all so you wouldn't get bitten. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. And just for anyone that doesn't know what we're talking about, it's because we played a touch rugby tournament, which was organised by Gilbert and... Phil Rugby in the morning and afternoon, which was at a rugby club next to Stadio Manigo, before going across to Manigo to watch Italy play Japan. So we've got two very important things to report on. One, Italy playing Japan, and the other one, our touch rugby athleticism. Yes, and it was, well, we'll talk about that one afterwards. I think more important probably should be Italy's final World Cup warm-up game. Um, the atmosphere was electric. It was just from the off. We knew it was going to be a great weekend, but I am so happy we went because it was so much more than we thought it could ever, ever be. It was hot. Everyone was up for it. There were a couple of Japanese fans, not many. It was mainly Italy fans, let's be honest. But um, yeah, from the off, it was a great game. It's kind of what you'd hope from any test match. It was all brilliant, except for one thing. I went to the bar at Minigo when the teams were warming up. I had to queue up, as is the case in Italy, get my receipt for the drinks before I can go to the bar itself to get my drinks. But I was in the queue for the bar while the teams were warming up. They managed to get inside, get changed, get pumped up, come out, sing the national anthems and kick off and I was still waiting at the fucking bar. Yeah, they, they need to sort it out. This was worse than usual because the other bars were being used for hospitality and for some reason we weren't invited in. Uh, <laughs> Do you know who I am? <laughs> but they need to sort that out, all right? It's not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Yeah. Having a bunch of taps, pouring it one-handed while chatting to people, I don't oh. understand how it works. The beer pouring, and they and they ask, what do you want? What do you think, everyone? Everyone in this queue <laughs> the same bloody thing, all right? Don't stop pouring that beer and do it two-handed, two glasses at a time. Let's go. We've got a game to watch. Yeah, I completely agree. We missed the first bloody try. Because they took so long to pour our beer. No, I, I really think we should do very simple consultancy. My consultancy would be just in terms of stadium logistics. Just pour a shitload of beer. And then when you see that things are dwindling, stop pouring the beer. It's that simple. It took forever. It's not okay. Um, yeah, we need, we need to help them. On the other hand, a plus side of being at Manigo is if you do want to just hang around by the bar. It's one of the few places where you can watch an international game and literally lean over the pitch with yeah. a beer it's great. watching it if you don't want to go to your seat you just want to stand by the bar from the bar you can see the game you could do that maybe that's the best thing to do if you actually like getting served <laughs> and then and then because they make you get the receipt beforehand i got nine beers it sounds over the top but there was me coach and our mate ed we were drinking beers i thought i'll save some time i'll buy three each 
and we'll be fine. But I only wanted two each at that moment in time. So I ordered six beers. Normally what they do is they then get a piece of paper and they scribble on it so they know. This guy, lovely man called Dennis, he was doing a good job. They were massively understaffed. Anyway, Dennis was doing his best. He just looked at me and said, I'll remember you. And then he did remember what? you, but he didn't really remember your order because he was giving me spritzes instead of Prosecco, which, to be honest, worked out better because the spritz was delicious. Anyway, this isn't as as important as the game itself. No, right. But that's... I do want everyone to know. And that's what made Eddie mad this week. <laughs> this week. Actually, objectively, <laughs> that was the only downside to our weekend was having to wait that long for a couple of beers. But yes, 13th and 14th best teams in the world. Playing each other. And you would think the BBC would report on it, but they bloody didn't. They didn't have it on their BBC Sport Rugby Union page. Yeah, they talk about Argentina beating Spain. They had any other random story. They had Scotland, Georgia. They had it all. Not a single bloody thing on Italy smashing Japan. Nothing. They're paid for that. And it's not like there were loads of games going on. There are about six international games happened that weekend. And these are two top 15 nations in the world playing each other. One of them is in England's bloody group for the World Cup. And the BBC didn't even think it was worthwhile reporting on. I guess they're just in shock. They're in shock. I'm going to go get myself a glass of Chianti. Okay, he's actually just left. Right, well, coach, since I have you and Eddie's not here to be gobby, let's crack on because I feel like Italy finally pulled the performance out of the bag that we've sort of been wanting to see. Like, obviously, they comprehensively beat Romania by 50 points the week before. But for me, it wasn't... It, it wasn't quite as good as people said it was. Whereas this felt solid. It felt well orchestrated, well oiled. It felt like a team win. In the end, the score was a serious thumping, right? 42-21, any tier one team would be happy with that result against Japan. It was arguably probably a little bit tighter than that score suggests because those final two tries came in the last five minutes. But they did it. I'm bad. Yeah, and I, th- I think, uh, thanks for coming back. Ed. I think they listened to the podcast. Oh, yeah? Who? I think whoever's in charge over there. Whoever's <laughs> in charge over there? Whoever's in charge. I haven't got a name. What do you mean, Kieran Crowley? Crowley? You mean well, it could be him. It could be somebody whispering in his ear. It could I, think be... it's, I think it's Marius Goosen. I think Marius Goosen listens to our podcast mm-hmm. and then writes it all down as if it's his idea. In a notebook. In a notebook. And then he goes in on Monday morning. He goes, Kieran, listen to this. I've got some great ideas. Listen to these great ideas I've got. I think we're playing rugby in the wrong part of the pit, Kieran. We need to kick it up the field and then play rugby up there. And then Kieran thinks it's a good idea. And he does it. I think that's exactly right. That's what we've been saying for the last two games. And it was highlighted in the Romania game because they had really no pressure. And it showed that they just can't stop running the ball from everywhere on the pitch. And they kept Japan in their own half. Yeah. They were further up the pitch. Yeah. The first Monty try started in the halfway line. But if you did that from the 22, you wouldn't have made that try because it was it was yeah. a hairline try to begin with, with that beautiful catch at the end. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But they would Absolutely. have tried that from the five-meter line and it wouldn't have been a thing and no one would have seen the attacking prowess that they they possess now. Yeah, so, that's a really good point, right? It's just about starting every action 20 meters further up the pitch and it results in what we saw this weekend playing in the right areas and also it means that when you play and you if you lose it or something goes against you you're not immediately back in the red zone 
Yeah. Yeah. If if you're playing in the wrong areas, when you make a mistake, you're doubly punished because they're suddenly in the red zone. They're well, coming. Yeah. Which, to be honest, I actually think there were real moments in this game where Japan played like the Italy of old or the Italy of not so long ago in terms of like some of their errors and how they were trying to play in their own half when they really shouldn't they should just be trying to exit um and just little errors it, it felt like it was almost italy doing to japan what has been done to italy off the back of their errors time and time and time again but that's exactly what you want you want that yeah. learning you need that learning you, scotland have done it to italy a couple of times and then this time italy do it to japan and they've gone oh actually that's nice that works well we yeah <clears throat> there's a perfect example of that you know when the japan kicked it from i think they were like in the try zone and they kicked it way past the halfway line. It was one of the best kicks of the game. And then they immediately played it. They just took a quick line out. Yeah. So we just we don't want to be in this part of the pitch. We're going to just get back and go back up the pitch. And that was that super pass that Eddie, you said yeah. Tommy did. Tommy gave. Yeah, Tommaso Allen, that, that quick line out was one of yeah. the most satisfying passes. Zipped it along. Monty stepped inside, ran up the pitch, and then the game's momentum's gone back into it's his favour. Mm. And... You know, they don't want to be in that that area of the pitch anymore. And I think that's that's going to do them a massive favour. Also in the second half, there was uh, Paolo Garbisi did one of the best exits I've ever seen Italy do. Yeah. Must have been a sort of 45-metre kick. Normally, I basically was telling Ed next to me when they lined up for him to kick it out. I was like, Ed, be ready to catch this. <laughs> we were sitting on the edge of the 22. Uh, oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely pinged it down towards the halfway line. I went nuts as for sort of try. I was like, "That's the best exit he's ever done." But that's huge progress. Simple things like that; those are the things that are going to help Italy win these big matches coming up. I think almost everything went well. I thought the the defense, the scrambling defense, was phenomenal. Normal defense was really, really good. Lineouts need a bit of work still uh, attacking and defending um yeah. in the opening passages of the game italy had two line outs on the five meter line for japan and they were able to defend them both and then win a penalty so they'll be looking at that going hang on a minute we should have finished that when japan had exactly the same situation at the other end of the pitch they did a beautiful move sent people the wrong way were over the try line before italy even realized yeah. what was no. going on that first Japan try was just a beautiful, beautiful piece of set play. That yeah. Nothing and Michael do. Leach was stealing everything from the air, as he's one to do. Um, and so that wasn't easy for Italy. But, you know, lineouts is something you can work on in training on your own. So, yeah, lineouts would be my only kind of thing that maybe they can keep working on and up into to this World Cup. And then, yeah, I think you're about to say keeping possession, consistency in their, in their restart, regathering. Um, it's still a little bit wobbly. I think they three times in that game, they the restart went and went Japan's way when it should have easily been Italy's to regather and exit from. But if that's kind of the two main things that we're coming away saying, like that's what they need to to kind of solidify in the next couple of weeks, that's not bad. It's not bad at all. Another thing to mention would be the lack of yellow cards. Yeah. Normally there's cards. Italy gave away less than 10 penalties. I think it was nine. Which is good for a whole game, right? Like often you see them giving away nine in the first half. So not not bad at all. And the atmosphere around Manigo after the game, obviously the score was massive. Everyone was happy. But even when you spoke about the game specifics, people were very, very happy. Everyone was like, that was chalk from cheese. 
yeah from the romania performance yeah this was disciplined yes clinical yes and it wasn't boring no everyone wanted to play everyone from both sides if anyone's listening to this and hasn't actually watched the game don't even just go watch the highlights go on amazon and watch the full game because it was champagne excitement both sides going for it it was beautiful but it was organized the hands were accurate it was finely tuned the defense was fantastic japan scored a few tries one of them i think was a, a, a tiny bit soft but for the most part it was excellent 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 rugby I think most top 10 nations would have been really happy beating Japan by that score and with the performance that Italy put in. Yeah. So it was a, I hope the guys woke up the next day feeling, they're probably a bit hungover, but apart from the hangover, I hope they felt totally satisfied and happy. And there's yeah. not very often that I think Italian players can actually wake up the next day and feel that way and go, you know what, we did really bloody well. You just said the one thing that for me has been hugely developed almost perfected and i think any tier one team i think if ireland did this if new zealand did this we would be impressed italy's hand speed is world class for monty's second try that ball went through 10 pairs of hands in one phase and it was shoom, shoom, shoom. and it wasn't just passing it a bit early it was like passing it once you've sucked in those defenders like those offloads were timed to perfection every single one of them like Mm -hmm. it's superb their hand speed i think it's one of the most watchable things and any any team in the world would look at that and be like that's banging yeah italy's attack is just amazing if England scored that first try. It would be all over the news. It'll be right. We're bouncing back. We're getting ready for the World Cup. Yeah, but yeah. Italy do it, and it's just like okay. I turned to you during. I was like, that was world class. That was yeah, world, had, that try was world class. Everyone had their mouths open. Everybody was just having a great time. It was just well, it was the it best. Was it was the best brilliant. try of the week. It was the best try of all the summer nation series games this week. That was. Actually, I think they've even made it official. They've called it the, the the play of the week. And one of the things that really stands out for me in that, well, there's a couple of things. It was all brilliant. But Montioni starting it mm-hmm. and finishing it. That is a sign of a class player. When you can start and finish a move, you're class. Tommaso Allen, who is a fly half. And last season played a couple of games at fullback. And I remember really clearly Austin Healy in commentary for his second game at fullback for Harlequins. Austin Healy said... Mm, he's not a good fullback. He's a great fly half, but he's not a good fullback. I think Austin Hilly would take that back now. Tommaso yeah. Allen's learning journey at 15 has been huge. When he took that ball off Monty, he sucked in three defenders. He's gunning it, he's sprinting, but you know, and he knows, he's never getting to the line. He was solely working on pulling in as many people as possible, as many people as possible for that final split mini second, and then bang, to Kapotswa on the wing. And that's before when he was first announced at 15 for this game. That's what I was saying on Twitter. That's what we were saying. I want to see what Tommaso Allen can do when he can put in these speed demons, all right? Because his game, he is a distributor of the ball. That's his strength. Obviously, he's no slouch, but he's not a finisher, really. He makes space for people. And if you're making space for the players, the quality of Monteoni... (laughs) who got the most metres out of anyone in the 2021 Six Nations. Most offloads of any player in Super Rugby. 
Right? You're making space for players like that, or you're making space for players like Capuzzo. They're the guys you've got on each shoulder. I mean, it's magic. Absolute magic. Yeah. And on top of that, he's an absolute baller under the high ball. Yes, right. Skills learnt in the last year. And again, I repeat this, he's gone, what do Italy need? I really think he's done this. I think he's done his homework. He's gone like, right, Paolo Gobisi is objectively, like everyone's talking about him. He is the golden boy in a similar way to how Capozzo is the golden boy right now. How do I make myself indispensable? I make myself indispensable by becoming the kicker. He got all the kicks against Scotland, all the kicks against Ireland, and all but one against Japan. He's had, I think it's 83% this year kick success rate, which if you look back over his previous years is a humongous improvement. And the second thing, which I've been saying for years and years, is we just haven't had a fullback who's reliable under the high ball. We just haven't had a player who's seriously reliable under a high ball. And he's he's worked on both of those things. Actually, that's right. You have been saying that. And I think that is true. Italy traditionally have not been great under the high ball in recent times. But actually, when something goes up over him... He's there. I'm not concerned at all. I'm like, he should get it. And that is somebody who's gone, what do we need? What do we need? What? What? How can I make myself indispensable for this World Cup and for the Italy team moving forward? And he's done it. And I, I think you cannot now, going into the World Cup, not have him on the pitch. Yeah, I think Tricolore on Twitter said a similar thing that he doesn't see Alan not being on the pitch. He can't, he, well, he, can't. he needs him. And, and actually, I think that's so true. You know, Pani at 15, really exciting, but he doesn't have all the skill set that Tommaso Allen's got. My only worry would be they would then put Capoazza as 15 and he's a winger. Well, he, he often plays fullback. He's just way better on the wing. That's a subjective opinion. I've seen people online say that he needs to be a, a fullback, but I actually agree. I think actually I would have him at, at the wing because mainly actually because he gets injured a fair bit because he's a bit small. Brilliant, but a bit small. And I reckon you can protect a player like that more on the wing than you can if he's at fullback. You don't want it to be his responsibility to clean up everyone else's shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a couple of us is more of a Colby than a Hog. Well, that's that's yeah. his hero. He always said Chesney Colby was. Well, his there hero. you go. Yeah, he's very much like that. I mean, speaking of Capozzo, he got man of the match. He then shared it with Monty, which I think is very. It's not just sweet. It's a player going objectively. They announced his man of the match name about a minute before Monty got his third try. And so you're like, hang on a minute, this guy's scored a hat-trick and has been everywhere on the pitch. They both were busting a gut on those wings. They were incredible. They were everywhere. And Capozzo, who basically saved as much of a certain try as there has ever been a certain try. Granted, he messed up by not making the tackle on the wing. How fast has he messed up? He missed a tackle. He then got up, sprinted past everyone, caught up with the guy and then tackled him again. And made the cover tackle on the five-metre line? Within the five-metre line. It was insane. And sneakily lay there on top of the ball, just long enough before rolling away that it's loaded yeah. Japan ball down. No, he's got incredible skill. He knows also, one thing I've been really impressed with, he knows exactly where the touchline is at all moments. He plays with the millimetres with that touchline. I'm not entirely sure how he does it. It's a huge skill. But no, Monty probably should have got man of the match. He scored three tries. But they were both great, is kind of my point. I think it was a great thing to share it because, yes, they Monty scored some superstar tries, but then some of the try assists that Capozzo put in and the defensive tackle that he made that. It was a it was a but it was a try. Don't get man of the match or player of the match 
when you score a hat trick, when can you get it? And the last one that he scored was just a Monty Wonder try, as we've discussed. Yeah. Caught the ball and did everyone with pace, stepping and handoffs. He plowed through the middle of the park. So, yeah, he probably should have got it. And it must have been a wonderful moment for him. The whole crowd of his old club, Benetton, chanting, Monty, 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 and thoroughly deserved. What a player. What a guy. And I love the way he plays with a smile all the time. And it blows my mind (laughs) that he played at Melbourne Rebels for a year. All last year, he didn't score a single try for Melbourne Rebels. They didn't know the talent this guy had. They couldn't organise a piss up in a brewery. I mean, can you imagine? And they're Australian. Can you imagine having him on your team for a year and being such an incompetent rugby team that he doesn't score a single try? (laughs) It's it's nuts. No, it is objectively, it is nuts. I don't know how. It's almost like you have to work to stop him scoring tries the player who's on a difficult year for italy made the most meters out of any player in the entire six nations a player who just scored three tries against japan he scored against scotland a couple of weeks ago and melbourne rebels couldn't put him in to finish a single (laughs) one and they're still arrogant to think they're not shit (laughs) blows my mind yeah, he's in, he's unstoppable. So you just have to go like, what went wrong in Australia that this year for him? And for Italy this year in the Six Nations, they did very well. They could do much better. But, you know, I remember that Italy in the Six Nations, for any listeners, were without Monty because he was in Australia. And they were also without Capuzzo. Yeah, and Garbisi for parts of it. Exactly. So He's a superstar. And him, together with Caporto, with a dog as well, who came on towards the end of the game. It's exciting. And next year, this has nothing to do with Italy, but Monty going to Lyon, and who's he going to be playing alongside? Randrandra. Semi Radradra, who's my favourite Fijian player. I think that's just a match made in heaven. Can you imagine the damage that they're going to do? It is going to be one of the most exciting teams to watch for next yeah. year. Well, I can't wait to see Italy's backline take on New Zealand. I'd like to see where they are compared to New Zealand. Look, I mean, we're going into this World Cup and I think we're in as strong a place as I could hope for us to be. Granted, if I could change anything, I'd make Minantello not be injured. Obviously, that goes without saying. But all he things had a good game. Wait, we're just standing at the end of the pitch, necking beers. Oh, as in he had a good game. He enjoyed the game. He looked happy as Larry in he his did. sling. Yeah. That was quite sad. Coach got a little photo with him. Yeah. You sycophant. (laughs) In the photo, though, his eyes were closed, but I was actually pinching his bum. (laughs) (laughs) And we'll put that picture up with the the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, but look, it was a glorious, glorious day. Italy, I think, are going into this World Cup as strong as they could hope to be, um, injuries considered. Yeah, that's it. They've done all they can in terms of their warm-up games. and now... I think they have done all they can. Ireland, number one side in the world. Italy were the Japan of that game, and the scoreline was actually worse for Italy than it should have been. Similar for Scotland, but against Scotland, neither Scotland nor Italy played their absolute best teams and they were very much experimental teams. And they gave each other a good go, but Scotland won and, you know, probably rightly so. Um, But that's not a representation of what their their best teams are, even though, let's be honest, Scotland right now are looking, well, they would would beat England every day of the week. (laughs) 
And, you know, against Romania, we weren't particularly happy with it, but they got the big win. Yeah. Beating Japan by a, I'm not joking, I think that is a scoreline that any team in the top 10 would be satisfied with. Yeah. 42-21 to score 42 points against Japan in the last game before a World Cup. That's huge. Five tries. And then they're going in. They've got Namibia in their opening game, Uruguay in their second game. They should beat Namibia without too many worries. They need to be worried about Uruguay because Uruguay are going to be targeting them, but Italy should be able to finish that. And then they're going in to play France and New Zealand with four wins on the trot. Yeah. And no one's expecting anything from them. And I think that's an interesting point as well, that when they get to France to play France, no one is expecting Italy to do anything. Yeah. So there's no pressure on them. Whereas all the pressure is on the other two. It'd be very interesting to see what happens. Who wins that opening game between France and New Zealand? Yeah. And I'm not sure who I'd prefer to win it. What do you guys think? I, who would you prefer? If you, you France or New Zealand, someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. What's your ideal? I would prefer if France lost. Yeah, but no, not just because you hate the French, but for the rugby <laughs> reasons. Well, we all know what happens to New Zealand when they lose a game. Yeah. The next game is yeah. biblical. Oh, actually, so, that, now that's a really interesting point. Yeah. And that's very good. For you, I'm impressed. You don't want New Zealand with the backup against the wall. Because you're right. When New Zealand lose a game, they come yeah. back like a bunch of psychopaths. Yeah. 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 It's when like the worst bits of the Bible. When France lose a game, they have the potential historically, and this group may be different, but historically they have the potential to sulk. Yeah. Yeah. And also and then, against yeah. France, it, the Italy-France sort of rivalry, for some reason, mm. like it's always a lot closer than That's true. you think it's going to be. Yeah, that'd be hilarious if France lost and then Italy just put the sword to them and Italy knocked them out of their own World Cup. <laughs> My thing that I was spouting drunk in Treviso at the weekend, my potential scenario where France beat New Zealand, France immediately start thinking about the quarterfinals, semifinals, etc. Italy take France by surprise and beat them, but that's still not enough to go through because I think France and New Zealand will smash Uruguay and Namibia by more than Italy will beat Uruguay and Namibia. So even though Italy beating France, they still won't finish second in the group. It wasn't a popular opinion, I've got to say. <laughs> yeah, because that's tragic. But I could potentially see that happening. We'll see. I think France will probably win the opening game. Because New Zealand are the kind of team that play a, a side like Namibia and they go, right, we'll score 100 points on you. And they will just do that. We talked about how clinical and cutthroat Italy were this week and that was fantastic. But New Zealand still do it more. Yeah, well, but on the exciting, plus side, yeah. going back to how I think these warm-up games have gone for Italy, it's been a real learning curve and you can see just the upward trend of everything they've done from the very first game to this game. Just the fact that everything we sort of said like, mm, but it wasn't quite right. Yes, 50 points on uh, Romania is great, but we didn't see like that cutthroat clinical finish that no, Italy they lost have there. missed time and time again and this time against Japan 70 minutes in they were up by seven points and that they were like no fuck this we're gonna shove that knife deep into they, they, there they found fifth gear yeah in the last 10 minutes they found fifth gear normally someone else finds fifth gear on them they found fifth gear on someone else yeah the I errors thought... were knocked out there were ba basically no knock-ons very few knock-ons I mean it just like the little things that we said 
weren't going to cut it in this World Cup, they sorted out for this game. And I thought it was across the board a really solid performance. A yeah. clinical, cutthroat, solid performance. I think so too. And there's been some fantastic players come out of this. I, I keep said it last time, but if I'm perfectly honest, and if he listens to that, I don't upset him. But I wasn't expecting too much from Dino Lamb. And I think he's been bloody amazing. I think he's been absolutely amazing. I, I've been so impressed with him. Bingo, there's your third, second row. Yeah. I thought he would be sitting behind the other ones. I, I thought he would be behind CC, Zambinin, Yakitsi, whatever. Like for me, like he's just now, now we have three second rows. He's firmly in them. I go Rutsu Kanone, Dino Lamb, bang. Yeah. He's yeah. fast, he's quick, he's intelligent, he's powerful. He's got a strength, which I, I hadn't seen when he played for Harlequins, if I'm perfectly honest. I hadn't seen that brutality, the strength that he has. But for some reason in the blue shirt, it's been more apparent. I'm sure he does do it for Harlequins, but I hadn't seen it. I thought Pedrello, boom, mm. ran half the pitch, scored a try. Welcome. Paolo Adogru, perfect on that wing as the number 23, probably, because he's a, plays a very similar style to uh, Capozzo and Ione. All things considered, I think we're going in as solid and as strong as I would hope that we could be, bar injuries. I look forward to this World Cup. But it wasn't all about the Japan game. Other legends were born that weekend, and it was our team in the Touch Rugby tournament. It was our team. We were 10th out of 12. <laughs> we finished 10th out of 12. But we bloody should have beaten Carbo Rugby. And if you listen to this Carbo Rugby, you got away with murder there. <laughs> I can't believe we didn't beat you. I was so angry. Eddie was really angry. I, I, I was incandescent with rage. I was like Federico Rutza after the game against Toulon. That's how I was after we lost to Carbo Rugby. I mean, they were it they was... were good, but we... I don't yeah. want to hear it. We just we just didn't play our guests our best against that. But we had a lovely group of people. We, we went with four people. Um, five, five, and our mate Ed. Oh, and yes, your friend Tom from Rome, who uh, rode his motorcycle all the way from Rome and got a puncture on the way and missed most of it and was there for the last game. He was very good. But we had these lovely, lovely players from Fano Rugby Touch Rugby Club from the Marque on the East Coast, and they came. And they made up our numbers, or we made up their numbers. They were um, lovely. Lovely group of people. And we had a fantastic time. We had uh, a great day, all in all. I mean, it was a huge success. So it was organised by Gilbert and Phil Rugby, who if you don't follow, you definitely should. He does YouTube vlogs on almost all of the games. He's on Instagram. He's just superb. Um, please give him a follow because him um, and Francesco from Gilbert basically single-handedly organised this with not a lot of notice. I mean, maybe a couple of months max. And it was so well organised, right? You guys, as English people who love your structure and your your tournaments and your organisation were really impressed. I thought it was fantastic. It was a great tournament. If I had one criticism, I would say get all the games in before the massive pasta lunch. Yeah, I don't yep. think pause helped anyone. <laughs> I think Efron could have finished the tournament before eating a kilo of pasta. Um, as delicious as it was, Coach, did you enjoy your little plate of pasta? As delicious as it was. I did. I liked the delivery. I liked everything about it. I've, I even kept the fork because I loved it so much. <laughs> so Coach was injured after the fourth game, so I had to 
personally deliver his plate of pasta to him, even though the canteen lady was not happy about it because we were meant to go and sit down in the clubhouse all together to eat our pasta. And I said that he was injured, so I had to deliver it to him. And she said, make sure you bring the fork back. And I was like, yes, I promise. And we've still got that fork. So you yeah. owe them a fork. I think a lot of other players were jealous. A few of the Italian, well, they were all Italian, let's be honest, on the odd one out there. <laughs> they walked past and um, they just pointed at me going, fresco. <laughs> Fresh. Mm, fresco. Right. Well, yeah, because the and rest was... of us had to eat in the clubhouse and it was actually like 40 degrees inside. Well, was... that was only because everyone had been in there eating. I When I first went in there, it was it was quite cool and chill. But I think that was my, my only criticism. Let's get the whole rugby done and then we can eat. I think everyone will be happy with that. The structure of the tournament was fantastic. Yeah. Four groups of three. After that, they split you up into your actual pools. So you'll be playing for the rest of the tournament so that you're playing people at an equal level. We turned up Baptism of Fire against uh, Sarah Baratin's team. Which was made up of the Delinquenza Valle, which you, I'm sure anyone who listens and is Italian knows about them. They are the leaders of of Italian rugby. Uh, well, it doesn't surprise you. They made us look like dickheads. <laughs> but what did you do? I scored a try. Scored a try. I set up, I set up two on one against the uh, former Italian captain and then went round her and dotted it down in the corner. That's what I did. That's the calibre of this guy. And uh, Coach also nearly scored two tries. Coach scored two tries, but... Put no, them he past- didn't. No, well, he in his mind he did, but he put them past <laughs> the dead ball line. Uh, he thought the dead ball line was the try line. Um, yeah. There were flags, but he doesn't see flags. <laughs> He's a sprinter. I stopped for no man. <laughs> we ended up, we went in the Champions Cup and then we lost to the second side. That that was the team from the top 10. Uh, lovely, <laughs> lovely, lovely guys. They, they beat us 4-2. Um, and then um, we ended up, there was a Champions Cup for the team that comes first. Challenge Cup second. We were in what was called mini rugby, and uh, we did quite well in mini rugby. But that's where we we lost one game in mini rugby, and that was against the enemy, a horrible bunch of bastards. <laughs> Carbo rugby, instantly dislikable people. <laughs> I can't uh, believe it. Bloody legends is what he's saying. I mean, we need to get they them on the podcast. We should definitely even... do like a podcast swap. Although we would be utterly useful on that, useless on that. Sorry, because you, well, coach would do nothing on their Italian podcast. Coach, coach owes them his life. He went down scoring a try, and he was touched on the way down, so it didn't count. And then he'd injured himself, and they they stopped to help him. Yeah. Pulled in a helicopter. Pinched me up. Got him an ice pack. No, they're very nice. I pulled both my hamstrings simultaneously, which <laughs> is pretty, pretty amazing. And they came over to help, which was very nice of them. Considering it was their team that we were playing and it was Yeah, in the middle of playing. Yeah. Games, lovely. I girl. thought they'd come over to tell me to get the hell out of the try area. <laughs> <laughs> so you're quite a big roadblock. Stop flailing around in the try yeah. area. We know what you're doing. So, Marco. If you're listening to this, we love you. You're great. We also met some other nice people that day. Met a lovely Scottish guy called Graham, bringing some cool to that rugby club. Uh, also met another lovely Scottish guy called James, who came up from Edinburgh. Looking forward to having deep fried Mars bars with him next time. Benetton playing. Deep fried Ed- haggis, actually, I'm more interested in. Deep fried anything. I'm sure he'll be up for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Met a guy called Paolo, who was uh, keeping some Cornish cool while living in Treviso. Uh, he was used to the bar cues. <laughs> 
He was a lovely guy. Couldn't meet him for shots later because we were too knackered. Just a wonderful, wonderful weekend. I felt it exceeded all expectations. I mean, thank you to Phil Rugby and Gilbert for organizing it. Also yeah. Danilo from Dampat Rugby. If you don't follow, he's a legend. He did the whole sort of commentary um, pre-tournament announcement of the pools. A really wonderful group of people. And it's reminded us why we do this. And Guido from Italian Rugby Players Abroad, who is a source of all knowledge yeah and of course andrea from rugby treviso rugby italy what a great guy he introduced us to the best place in treviso for tiramisu so what more can you want amazing weekend and i met a great guy luca tomasin who helped me help me find an ice pack for my hamstrings <laughs> um he, he recognized the hat and he's a great guy. And he helped me go to the ambulance. And that's for an ice pack. And all I saw was an ice pack thrown from the back of the ambulance. They threw an so ice pack you. at you. That's Brexit for you. How did they know? <laughs> Look at you. <laughs> Pasty white skin. There's your ice pack. <laughs> Dying in this heat. Every, Off I mean, you go, every... fatty. <laughs> Objectively, everyone was dying in the heat. The fact that we survived, we've been living in essentially a summer that has been maximums of like 23 degrees. And it was 37 degrees at one point during that day. And we were playing rugby, touch rugby in the heat all day long. And we didn't die. And we had a great day. What a win. From what I've understood, they're definitely going to do it again. So all you people who have messaged us saying you want to come next year, well, Trials will be next June. Yeah. So what have you said, coach? Next year, we're coming back strong because 10th place is not good enough. I love revenge. We will be holding trials. Most people go that revenge is, you know, pretty bad virtue. No, not virtue. A vice. Petty I think vice. it's quite, I think it's, if used correctly, can be quite developmental. Next year, we're coming back with a vengeance. Coach was like, next year, if we train for a whole year, we could get jacked and come back and win this thing. So that's what we're going for next year, guys. Admittedly, we're playing against some extreme athletes. Like that pink team, the top 10 team were real specimens. Granted, they were all in their 20s and we're past our 20s now. Got Matteo, who from the top 10 team wasn't watching the game because he was off mountain climbing. <laughs> yeah, he was a physical specimen. That's right. Because we all felt like death and he was off to the Dolomites for a week of mountain climbing. That's immediately. Insane. I mean, none of us can walk. I just want to make that point. Like we've all come on this Zoom call to record this episode and basically coach isn't moving. Eddie's feet are a mess. Ed, our friend, can't bend over. Yeah, but I don't think we give it enough context. I think Ed summed it up well. It's like, we've got two office workers. <laughs> one's a marketeer, one's in recruitment, and two thespians. Like, what did we expect was going to happen? And the rugby players amongst us haven't played in, what, 12 years? Yeah. Uh, a long that, time. That was really impressive, actually, guys. I mean, as somebody who has heard you three talk about all the rugby you used to play at university but never witnessed it, it was really when you had the ball. Granted, you may not have been as quick as you were 12 years ago, but you were still doing some pretty good work out there. I was impressed. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. So next year, you're coming to win it. Next year, you're coming to win it. I think we could. We'll start trials. We'll actually do like bleep tests for anyone who wants to join. <laughs> if I lost like. 30 kilograms i think yeah. i have some of my speed back it was like running in quicksand it was actually it actually upset me a little bit because that was honest, my thing i still thought you were pretty quick you were when quick you, when you did get that ball 
I felt like I was running just in slow-mo. kept falling over. I fell over in slow-mo as well. I don't know how that happens. I don't know if that's a gravity thing. All in all, we had a great weekend. New pals. We didn't die. And we'll be back next year. That's a success. It's a success. And now, off to the World Cup. But before we leave you, what made Coach Mad this week? The drink situation at the stadium is infuriating. And I don't know if it was exacerbated by the fact that I didn't want to stand on my feet any longer. And I actually didn't really want to drink, but I kind of felt compelled to because I'm a Britishman abroad. <laughs> and just in case stuff went down, I was ready um, to have drinks, to get violent very quickly, to get irritable very quickly. But all that was done soberly. In the queue. Because mm. they, they weren't giving you the drinks quickly enough. I love the Italian charm, the casualness. I love it. But kickoff was obviously happening very soon. People were having chats at the bar like it was a local pub. Um, and this isn't cheers. This was a rugby match. Paolo at the bar, my mate from Cornwall, was very candid about it. And if it is says, Paolo, I'd love to have shots with you. Do please get in contact with us. And next time on Treviso, it'd be great to see you. But yes, I totally agree. And it wasn't even like the Olympico, which is as bad. But at the Olympico, they've got the guys who come around with cans in the stadium. Yeah. You can go like, screw the bar. I know the system. I'm going to corner one of those guys with cash and buy off them. They didn't have that. Um, So you really were stuck. And the Cassetta was closed. The other club bar was closed. They had three bars open for 5,000 people, and um, it was slow. Wait, it's not what made you mad, it's what made Coach mad. Yeah, but we, we share this one. Okay, yeah. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> even though he didn't even want to drink, he was nah. still mad. Yeah, I actually wasn't at the bar very long. I gave up long ago. Yeah, no, I had to do it for everyone. I was just waiting there, and I was still angry. Yeah. So we'll come back and we'll do some consulting for them. And the consulting is just pour the drinks before the people arrive. You'll sell them. Don't worry. Get some faster taps. Get some more staff. And, and keep pouring pints. Keep pouring pints because that's what everyone wants. Yeah. And that's what made Coach Mad this week. Right, guys. Well... We've got the World Cup coming up, but before then... Before then, we have a very exciting podcast coming out, a very interesting podcast coming out with the Italian referee superstar Andrea Piardi, who refereed the URC final last season. Uh, We've done an interview with him. It's uh, enlightening. It's interesting. It's fascinating. It's funny. And that'll be coming out next week. Yes. Um, You know, we don't do a lot of interviews on this podcast um, because we think we're funny enough to hold our own. Well, we do quite a few interviews. Yeah. Well, we're just... That's because there's not many games going on. Yeah, but also we're quite selective about who we want on, right? Like our criteria is always they need to be interesting, they need to be funny. And I think Andrea was possibly when we originally kind of started this podcast he was top of our list or at least on the top five of our list of like long time we want to get him on because i think obviously players are super interesting coaches are super interesting but nobody really thinks about the life of a referee um and it was fascinating having him on and eddie it might was even... fascinating 
Eddie might get some stash, some rough stash. Did you know such a thing existed? So yes, keep your eyes peeled for that one. It should be out early next week. And then we'll let you know if we have any other surprises before the World Cup kicks off with Italy versus Namibia. Eddie gave away stash. We're not talking about that now. We're not talking about that now. We'll talk about it another time. But yes, I did give some stash away. We'll tell you about that sometime soon. But we did have some beautiful hats, if anybody noticed them. Glad you all still have your hats. Mine's gone. But it went to good hands. It went to somebody who, from what I understand, is as much of a merch merch magnet as you are. Takes one to know one. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's it. Summer Nation series are wrapped up. A final win for Kieran in Italy, a final win for Kieran in Treviso. The players all dedicated the win to him. It was actually incredibly moving. He was visibly touched by that. It's sad. I don't want to think about Kieran leaving us. No, we didn't talk about that, but it actually makes me livid to think that how they played against Japan and then that he's being shown the door. I think it's absolute bollocks because that's it. That's the Italian rugby style. That's the quality. That's what they can do, what they did against Japan. It's happening. It doesn't happen overnight. Look what's happened to England. Look what's happened to Wales. Look what's happened to Australia. Changing a coach in rugby is a shit show. And Italy have decided to do it stupidly and I'm when sure they're the new- on the up that's what's I, shocking sure- it's not like it's not like eddie jones or whatever who was having a bit of a tomato and it's like oh yeah he's not really winning and it's all no, getting a bit i'm sure no. Cassata's gonna do well i'm sure Cassata's got- there's nothing to do with him but it's like why pull the rug from underneath this guy when this guy has inspired every rugby player in italy they love the bloody team yeah everyone at the stadium loved it it's all going to plan yeah, no, it's infuriating. We, yeah. And what you're saying now, like he's going, you've got Namibia and you've got Uruguay, and then you've got the impossible games, which, you know, if Italy can win, which nothing's impossible in sport, it would be similar to Japan beating South Africa. That's the sort of level we're looking at. If Italy beat France in their own World Cup yeah. or New Zealand at a World Cup, we're looking at that kind of thing. And you know, none of this is fair. Yeah. This coach is doing his bloody job. And he's doing it well, and everyone loves him, except for one man. The only man that matters, Coach. (laughs) Coach loves him, that's a joke, it's not him. Anyway, (laughs) there we are. All right, guys, we'll be back. It's World Cup season, we're ready for it, we can't wait. But Kieran, if you ever listen to this, we bloody love you. I hope you're all as buzzed as we are for this World Cup. I think it's going to be a great one after the shocker that was England-Fiji this weekend. That pool is a mess If you like us, please rate us five stars. Follow us on Instagram, follow us on Twitter, follow us on the things. Tell everyone about us. Like and subscribe. Ciao. Arrivederci. Grazie tanto. Ciao. Ciao a tutti.